0: listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit Brockportfirstbaptist.org. Our scripture reading this week is Mark 3, verse 19b through 35. Then Jesus went home and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: And thanks, Julie, for that reading. So uh, one more quick announcement before we get into things today. Um, We are looking for some volunteers who can help out with the slides on Sunday mornings. Um, these pretty pictures up here that have like announcements on them and hymn lyrics and sermon points, all of that, we've had a couple folks drop out of the slide rotation uh, recently, and so we need some new volunteers to fill those gaps. Um, it's usually a once-a-month commitment. Uh, you don't have to be super tech-savvy. If you can hit a button, you can do this. Um, it's a great way to serve. You don't even really leave the service. Um, Longtime church people can do it, young or old, new folks. It's a great way to serve and get connected. And look how happy this guy looks. I mean, seriously. Um, but please, we need it. If, you, if you've ever been here a week where the slides have been a little off, um, that's often because you know whoever was up to do slides wasn't able to make it for some reason. So you know how important this is. Talk to me after the service if you're uh, interested in this, um, or email the church um, and we'll get you hooked up. All right. So if you didn't notice, there's a lot happening in our passage for today, like a whole lot. Um, Julie did a great job reading this, but there's just like so much going on here. Um, Jesus is confronted by some religious leaders uh, who accuse him of working with Satan. That's a bad day, uh, if if you've ever been there. um, That's not a fun day at work. Uh, And Jesus' response is a little confusing. He uh, rattles off a bunch of statements that are kind of vague. Um, How can Satan cast out Satan? A house divided against itself cannot stand. There's even this bit about how um, if you're going to rob someone, you should tie them up first which is helpful advice, I guess. Um, But then to make things even more complicated, uh, we get this other conflict happening with Jesus's family, uh, where his mother and brothers show up to take him away, uh, because people are saying that he's crazy. And then Jesus basically disses his whole family, right? Who are my mother and my brothers, There's even a part in here about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit being an unforgivable sin. That's a lot to cover. I hope none of us have lunch plans, because, no, it won't be that bad. Uh, I thought about splitting this passage up and covering it over two weeks, but the more I read this one, the more I, like, thought about it, I realized this passage is really a single unit. All this stuff is one episode. If you split it up, you kind of miss what's going on here. This passage is also a really good example of a storytelling technique that Mark uses a lot in his gospel. Mark likes to create tension. Uh, Mark likes to take two things, two ideas that we maybe wouldn't hold together and just shove them together and make us deal with it. Um, We saw this last week with the disciples. Um, Mark juxtaposes the promise and the hope of the Jesus community with the fact that the disciples are a bunch of goobers, right? Like, Mark just shoves those together and is like, here, what are you going to do with this? One of the ways we see Mark do this a lot um, in the gospel is we'll get two stories. We're going to call them story A and story B. But Mark doesn't do the normal thing, you know, where you give story A and then story B back to back. Instead, he likes to shove them together. Mark will give us the first part of story A, then we get story B, and then we get part two of story A, forcing us to look at the two stories as a unit. Bible scholars and academics actually have a a fancy word for this, really, really uh, academic word. Uh, They call it a sandwich. Um, That's not even a joke. Like, that's really what it's called. This is called a Mark sandwich. Um, Can you kind of see it? It, it almost looks like a burger. You just want to, like, like, take a bite out of it or something. Um, this is a Mark sandwich. There's a famous example of this um, a little bit later on in, his, in the gospel. You might have heard this one before. Uh, it's a story about a man named Jairus who comes to Jesus, and he asks him to heal his daughter. Um, Jairus' little girl is home in bed, and She's dying and he's like, you know, if you come, if you come to the house, I know you can save her, and so Jesus goes right away. They're on their way to the house when all of a sudden this woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years touches Jesus's cloak and is healed, and then all of a sudden like the narrative just shifts, like that first story stops, and Jesus is like, who touched me? Someone touched me, and the disciples are like, are you, are you kidding us? There's a crowd here, like 50 people just touched you. But Jesus like insists, he's like, no, someone touched me. And we get this story about the woman. Are we, you guys familiar with this, these two stories? Yeah, um, a lot of us are nodding, excellent. That story ends with Jesus telling this lady, your faith has made you well. Then these guys from Jairus' house show up, so we're back in the first story, and they're like, your daughter has died, it's too late don't trouble the teacher any longer. And Jesus says, have faith. Your faith has made you well. Then another story, have faith. And he goes to the house, and he raises the girl from the dead. Story A, story B, story A. Kind of get how that works? That's a sandwich, it's a powerful sandwich. In that, in that case, um, probably didn't think you'd be talking about powerful sandwiches at church today, but there we have it. Um, as you read the Gospel of Mark, you can actually look for these sandwiches. It's a fun little game to like, try to spot them because they're all over the place. Mark loves to take two stories that we wouldn't put together, shove them together, and make us deal with it. And that's what's going on in our passage for today. Story A is about Jesus and his family, Story B is about Jesus and Beelzebul, or Satan, Jesus squaring off with the religious leaders. Let's reread the first part of our passage, now that you know, to look for this sandwich pattern um, and see how this plays out. Mark 3, we're going to start halfway through verse 19. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him For people were saying, he's gone out of his mind. That's story A. Here's story B. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man, then indeed the house can be plundered. Interesting. Let's start by talking about story B. We'll circle back to story A about Jesus and his family, but let's start with this part about Jesus and Satan and see if we can make sense of this. Um, the scribes show up, the religious leaders come, and they accuse Jesus of working with the devil. Up to this point in the story, we've seen Jesus heal people and cast out demons, and the religious leaders are saying that he's doing all of that through the power of Satan. And Jesus comes back at them with this series of statements. They're almost like riddles. The text calls them parables, which is fascinating. Um, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. Jesus is basically saying, how can the devil cast out the devil? Like, how exactly would that work? You've seen what I'm doing, You've seen the fruit of my ministry, um, the lives that are restored, how people are being healed, how demons are being cast out. Why would the devil do that? Worst case scenario, if they're right and Jesus is working for Satan, then Satan's days are numbered because a house divided against itself can't stand. But Jesus tells this little parable, this little analogy, to make it clear that that's not what's going on. He's not working for the devil. Instead, he's come to show the devil who's boss. This is verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man, then indeed the house can be plundered. In this metaphor, the devil is the strong man and Jesus is the robber who's come to plunder his house. Not the metaphor I would probably use if I was telling the story, but it's weird, so I kind of like it. Um, Jesus is basically like, I'm not working for Satan. I tied that punk up, and I'm robbing his house. Like, that's the metaphor here. That's the lesson. That's story B. Then after all this back and forth about Jesus and Beelzebub. We get story A, part two. Remember how this started. The first couple verses were about Jesus' family coming to restrain him. We get the second half of that in verse 31. Then his mothers and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers and sisters are outside, big family, asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Ouch, right? This bad day just keeps getting worse. Jesus basically disowns his family here. They want to take him home before he gets himself in trouble, but a house divided against itself can't stand, so Jesus leaves the house, basically. He's like, that's not my family. This is my family, whoever does the will of God. What a strange pair of stories. Like, how many of us are confused? I spent like half the week in confusion. Why does Mark shove these two stories together? Like, Why are we given these? Why, why is this our sandwich? A story about conflict in Jesus' family and conflict with the religious leaders. What do these two stories have in common? Both of them are about houses being divided, right? Uh, both of them talk about restraining things. Jesus' family comes to restrain him, but he's busy restraining the devil. So a lot of little connective pieces. But I think the biggest thing Mark is trying to point out here is that the two groups who should have recognized Jesus, his family and the religious experts, don't recognize him. The two groups that should have known who Jesus was, what he was about, his family and the religious experts, don't recognize him. This makes Jesus really relatable, in a sense. Like, if you've ever been misunderstood, If you've ever been let down by someone who you thought had your back, if you've ever been let down by someone in your own family or like a church, a religious institution, that's incredibly painful. When the people who should be in your corner, who should be rooting for you, who should be on your side, aren't. It's one of the most painful things we can experience. And Jesus knew exactly what that felt like. This would have been really relatable for the first Christians, Mark's audience. Um, They would have understood these two stories on a pretty deep level. To follow Jesus in those early days meant that you were a heretic. You were following a false messiah, so it was believed. You've been uh, misled maybe by the devil himself, and usually as a result of that, your family would want nothing to do with you. The early Christians, the first Christians, our spiritual ancestors, were kicked out of the synagogues and disowned by their own families. That's Mark's audience. And he gives them a word of comfort by shoving these two stories together and saying, here, Jesus knows what that's like. I remember when I went to seminary, um, which is like a fancy word for a school for pastors. Um, when I went to seminary, uh, the people in my home church where I had grown up were so proud of me. Um, there was this guy named Dave at my church. Um, Dave was a good guy. He was a bit of a mentor to me. Um, he was really intense, uh, a little out there. Um, he was a bit of a good old boy, um, if, you, if you know the type. Um, very God and country type of guy. That was, that was Dave. Um, and when I told him I was going to seminary, he was so proud. He wrapped me in a big bear hug and he said, God is going to do amazing things through you. But the problem with seminary and any schooling, I think, is that you learn stuff and it changes you. It shifts your perspective. You learn the history of the church, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's a lot of ugly um, you learn Greek and Hebrew, how to read the Bible in their original languages. That makes you really dangerous, by the way. Um, in seminary, they make you do all these spiritual practices, things like prayer and fasting. They make you do, like, self-assessments where, like, you have to check your idols and deal with stuff. They force you to have conversations with other Christians who think differently from you. Right? Crazy. Who would do that? I didn't before seminary. (laughs) That's the problem. But I went to seminary, and it changed me. And I remember about two years into it, um, I was leading this Bible study at my home church. Dave was there. We were talking about Jesus and violence. That was the topic we got on. Um, What did Jesus have to say about violence? And we got into it. We were looking at the Gospels. We were looking at the text. We looked at Jesus teaching his followers to love their enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, Saying things like, those who live by the sword die by the sword. I talked about um, the history of pacifism in Christianity. How, like, a lot of Christians don't know this, but for the first few centuries of the church, it was unthinkable that a Christian would, like, carry a weapon or, you know, join an army or do anything that would make them kill an enemy. We've changed since then as a church. There are different views on this. You don't have to be a pacifist to be a Christian. But that's when Dave lost it on me. He just exploded. He was like, man, what happened to you? That seminary made you soft. You've lost the plot. Just because I suggested that maybe Christians shouldn't kill their enemies. And of course, me, you know, always humble, <laughs> I, was, I was like, lost the plot? I think I kind of found it. Probably not my best response to that. Dave didn't talk to me much after that. And that really sucked. That relationship just falling apart. Maybe some of you can relate. You grew up, you're given one view of faith, one view of the world, of life. And then over time you changed, you grew, things happened. Uh, Maybe you read a book or you had a conversation with someone who thought differently from you. Maybe you went through some sort of an experience or you had a relationship, someone in your family, someone that things happened to and it forced you to change your point of view. Maybe you evolved on a topic like violence or science and religion or LGBTQ inclusion. Maybe you got to a point where you had to deconstruct some part of your faith because it didn't fit anymore. You were trying to follow God. You were trying to be faithful to where Jesus was leading you, but your family, your church, your religious home, someone cast you aside. Maybe there are circles you used to run in that, like, you're not welcome in anymore. Maybe you had a falling out with a church, or maybe there's, like, a Facebook group that you had to leave. Um, Maybe there are members of your family who think you've gone off the deep end. It's really painful when this stuff happens with family. On this journey with Jesus, we learn and we grow, and sometimes that means we have to unlearn something that we thought we knew, and that's not always well received by our friends and our family. Who are kind of still in the place that we used to be. Sometimes the people who should get it, who should be in your corner, who should be having your back, don't. Mark's audience knew that, what that was like, Jesus knew what that was like. There are people in this room who know what that's like. If that's your experience, if that's your story, you're not alone. Sometimes we get cast out of a religious community, um, it can feel like God has turned his back on us. Like even God has cast us out. Um, I can't tell you how many people I know uh, who have left the church, who've lost their faith because they weren't able to put the pieces back together. If that's you, if you're struggling to figure out, like, do I still fit? Where do I still fit? Am I part of God's family anymore? If that's you, I think Jesus has one question. Who are my mother and my brothers? Who's part of Jesus' family? Is it people who go to the right church? Is it the ones who check the right boxes, who are in good with the religious establishment, who vote in a certain way, who get along really well with their families? Who... Are Jesus' mother and brothers? Whoever does the will of God, right? Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. That's verse 35. Oh, did my. No, it's still on. Sorry. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother that had to be a comforting word for like mark's audience right these christians who'd been kicked out of the synagogues disowned by their families convinced they didn't belong you want to know if you're in you want to know if you're still part of it if you're in god's family do the will of god follow god's will are you growing in your faith are you learning are you seeking understanding? Are you striving to be more like Jesus? When you fail, are you open to correction? Are you discerning things? Are you working things out, asking questions? Are you following where God leads you, even when it's scary? Even when there are people in your family or your church or your community of friends who don't understand? We live in, like, really divisive times. Our society is polarized. A lot of churches are polarized. Thanksgiving is going to be tricky for some of us this year. You might find that you have to leave the room to maintain your sanity. A house divided cannot stand. But in those moments when it feels like you don't belong, remember that's not about your tribe. It's not about what church you go to. It's not about how well you get along with your family, thank God. (sighs) These are my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for being a God who knows exactly what it feels like to deal with conflict in church, or even in our own families. Thank you for being God who comes alongside us, who builds us up, and who assures us that we belong. God, help us to do your will. Help us to follow where you lead. Help us to be more like Jesus even when it's hard, even when our families don't get it, even when we don't get it. Lord, give us the wisdom and the courage to follow you in all things.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist on Twitter, at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.